Welcome to the Highway Church Podcast. We're excited for you to join us today. To find out more about us, visit highway.com.au. It's going to be a good day in church. But you know, um, (laughs) did you enjoy last Sunday? It was good, wasn't it? I kept hearing the word breakthrough. Did anyone else hear that word a lot? I kept hearing breakthrough. But as I... um, as we were driving home, and I'm praying, because as soon as the person gets off the podium, I'm like, oh no, it's my turn next. <laughs> I knew the roster. And I was like, okay, God, what do you want to say? What do you want to say? And he started to speak to me immediately. He spoke to me three words. And I'm going to come to them in a minute. But um, I was in colour this year, and um, I went to a session and came out and came back, and on my seat was a picture. That picture up there is probably a bit hard to see, but this picture was on my seat, and it says, Courage is Born. And um, as soon as I looked at that picture, I went. I don't know why. I didn't understand it until a few weeks later, and I'm sitting at my desk preparing messages, and I'm looking at the picture, and the Lord said to me, has your life looked like that, Claire? My life has looked like that. Has yours? Have you had times where it's just ruins? Have you had times where you're like, could that ever be rebuilt again? Have you had times like that? And I know I have, and the Lord said to me, he said, you know, many of us, that's what our life looked like. We find ourselves in places and we're like, how did I get there? How did that happen? Because when I was a little girl, you had these dreams of what your life is going to look, look like. And then you grow up and you become an adult and you find yourself living in a, in a ruin. And you think, what went wrong? How did that happen? And the question is us and that picture that we've had really gets smashed and, and actually, for the record, I wasn't going to get married. I wasn't going to have kids. And <laughs> somehow I, had, I got married and I had four kids. What's, what happened, guys? <laughs> I don't know. But you know how our picture gets smashed? Through life, doesn't it? <laughs> You're laughing. <laughs> and if you right now in this moment, okay, just took a freeze frame, had a camera and took a freeze frame of your life. Okay, yours may not look like that. It may look really awesome, and yay for you, I'm thrilled. Awesome, we're cheering you because that's what God wants it to look like. But if yours looks a little bit like that, the three words the Lord, the Lord gave me last Sunday was, your picture is changing. Your picture is changing. Your picture is changing. And if you've just been, only, been able to see that, nothing else. He says to you this morning, your picture is changing. He says your picture is changing. You know why? Because I specialize in changing pictures. Awesome. I'm like, I'm taking that. And I just feel to prophesy over you this morning. No matter what your picture looks like, Jesus is saying to you today, your picture is changing. Because wherever Jesus went, every single place he went, he changed the picture. Every place. He promises to rebuild the ruins, Isaiah 61. And you know what? He uses the very rubble. The very rubble that's there is what he uses to rebuild. That's your life and my life. He can turn the barren, desolate desert into the most fruitful forest. Ezekiel 36. I had actually written my word all done Friday night, Saturday morning. It had to be rewritten. <laughs> David said, oh, no. I said, David, I woke up and he, the Lord took me straight to Ezekiel 36. And this is what it says. Thus says the Lord. That is, when there's a thus, listen, because this is not old King James. This is new King James. And he's still saying thus. That's law, okay? He's, it's going to happen. On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, that's your sins, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities and the ruins shall be rebuilt. 
The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. Do you know when our picture looks like that, we feel so much shame. But he says, no, no, no. Okay, they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden and the waste of desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. And then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, the Almighty God, and I will do it. And that says to me, breakthrough. <laughs> so if your picture looks like ruins today, okay, this land, he says, is going to become like the Garden of Eden. Do you know that he's moving his church back to the garden? Good, hey, I like that. Something is about to happen. You know, when, if you look through the Bible and the history of the Bible, when their cities and, and um, homes looked like that, it was usually because they had stopped obeying what God told them to do. And we serve a holy God. He is a jealous God for our affections. And he set things up for the people. He set them up guidelines and boundaries, and he gave them fences that would keep them free. He said, if you would live within these rules and these boundaries and these guidelines, you're going to live free. But guess what? They chose to rebel against the fences he put up. I have a dog. I'm telling you, if I didn't have fences around that property, he would be down the road. That's just the nature inside of him. Same with us. God puts fences and he puts boundaries around our life. Why? To keep us free. Because he says, you know what? If you break that, that wall of protection I've put around you, now you're wide open. And what happened to the children of Israel? They got wide open. The enemies came in. There was a breach in the wall because of sin. Enemy came in, took. The enemy comes and steals. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And that's what happens. And we have an enemy. He's got, he likes to, to deal with legal rights. If there's sin, I'm going in. But there's always a but in the Bible. And this is the good news that we preach. We serve a God that loves us so much that does not leave us in that place with the breach down. He always makes a plan and always makes a way for us to come back into that place of protection. And I don't know about you, but if you know you're loved, it's just a safe place. And so he calls us back all through, you know, history. He says, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn around. That means turn from what you've been doing. Absolute bout turn. Go the other way. He said, I will hear from heaven. and I will heal your land. I will rebuild what the enemy has ruined. That's good news, hey. You know, I really feel as I was doing this, I felt God saying to me, many of you in this room, and I'm included myself in this and David, that we're contending in the heavenlies for breakthrough. Whether it's in your body, whether it's in your family, whether it's in your work, your business, whatever it is, but we are contending. We're actually going into the heavenlies, contending for something that is actually ours. And I believe that God has anointed you and I in this day to be the Joshua's. The Joshua's to go in and take our promised land. Okay? So when, there's, when he's anointed you to do something, Joshua was a warrior. The land was always his. There was a, a, a generation before that was also called to take that land. They actually didn't take it. There were two things that rose up, fear and unbelief. They stopped looking at their big God. They forgot that he was big enough to overcome giants. But Joshua, Joshua believed that he, his God was big enough. He had seen miracles, and he believed that those miracles could happen again. So what does God say to him? You know what you're going to do, Joshua? I'm going to give you the strategy for victory. He said, when you go into that land, there's going to be locked gates, there's going to be fortified cities, and there's going to be giants. Now, that's our struggle that's in front of us. But he said, you know what you're going to need to do? You're going to need to get this book, okay? 
what I say. You're going to need to meditate on it day and night. This needs to be your truth. This needs to be your filter. This needs to be your focus. And if you would take that day and night, and if you would live in my presence, you will have success wherever you go because the land is yours. And that scripture I read to you in Ezekiel, if you read that whole chapter, he actually talks about how our sin hardens our hearts. But God always promises us an exchange, and he'll take our hearts of stone, and he'll exchange them for a heart of flesh. And I love that. And when he said to me, you know, the picture is changing, what he said to me, if you will look through this, you will see all through this book that he shows us two pictures. It's always a picture of what sin's done and then what he wants to do, and we get to step into it. And Ezekiel, he, he talks about the ruins and the garden being restored, and then God takes them into a valley. And he says, what do you see? And what did Ezekiel see? Dry bones. And he said, now I want you, Ezekiel, to speak to those dry bones, to prophesy to those dry bones. And like, you know, can they live in the natural? No. Your circumstance, can you get breakthrough in the natural? No. But he said, I want you to speak my word. Speak my word to those dry bones. And what happens? He starts to take the word of God, your promise, and he starts to speak it over the dead things. And what happens? There's a sound. There's a rattling and a shifting and a movement starts happening. Can you feel the movement in the spirit? Church, there's a movement. There's a rattling and a shifting over the church. Can you feel it? Okay, because the word of God is coming central again. And, and so he speaks it and the bones start to come together. And alignment starts to come together. They all come together and they start to form something. It's like a body, but there's a problem. There's no breath in it. And so the God says to him, Ezekiel, prophesy a second time. Okay, the second time, first time he spoke to the situation, the bones, which were dead. Second time, he said, I want you to speak to the breath. Okay, we need breath today. We need breath. And he said, I want you to speak my word to the breath and say, Oh, breath, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these dead things that they will live. What happened there? Ezekiel, okay, was told that he was going to be part in shifting the picture. The old picture, dry bones, Ezekiel now had a part to play. He had to speak the word. You've got to speak the word over your dry bones. But that word then connects to something in the heavenlies, and that breath comes in, and it's the breath that's created. It's the Holy Spirit over that word. And they, that picture of dry bones now rose up to be an exceedingly mighty, mighty army. Do you know, church, I don't know if you've heard some of the songs going around. We've been singing that song, We Need to Move. Um, God, he's a way maker, all these things, and they're beautiful songs. But God said to me, you know, Claire, we're praying for a move, but do you realize that my church is the move? We are the move of God, that when we start to wake up and we start to declare what God's word says and we believe it and we call on God's spirit to perform it, we become the move of God. We become the ones that start to shift the pitches and the pitches starts to change. And so today we're going to go into the Word and I'm going to show you two pictures. One shows a picture of a man who gets stuck in those ruins. Okay, he gets stuck in there. And he chooses in that place of devastation, everything's going wrong. He actually chooses to turn his back on God. And the other is two women. And they get stuck in exactly the same circumstance, exactly the same, same devastation, and they turn towards God. Very different pictures. So today... We're going to look in the book of Ruth, because we can learn a lot from this book. So if you want to turn to Ruth chapter 1, we're going to read from 1 to 5. 
Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. Do you know when the days of the judges ruled? Do you know what that was? That was when every man did what was right in his own eyes. Is that not the culture we have now? Right in their own eyes? It feels good. Let's do it. No, no. And there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife's wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malan and Chilion. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. Now they took wives of the woman of Moab, and the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth, and they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malan and Chilean also died. So the woman survived her two, husband, her two sons and her husband. Oh my goodness, have we got a picture of ruins. We have this. This is Naomi. She's lost everything that she ever loved. And also, she's living in a place that wasn't home. She was isolated. She finds herself living in the middle of rubble, isolated and alone. And really, it just I would imagine, in a place of deep grief. Famine has happened. So we go to Moab. Life has definitely taken a bad turn. And Elimelech, what does he do in the, in the time where his soul and, and the, the whole Israel is in famine? What does he do? Rather than stay the path, he goes to Moab. When I read this, I thought, why? Why did he go to Moab? He knows what God says. Everybody knew that Moab was the enemy of Israel. Why go to Moab? Everybody knew in Moab they worshipped idols. Why go to Moab? Everybody knew that Moab came from deception. They were not a blessed nation. They were cursed. Why does he go to Moab? I didn't understand. I just thought, wow, you're a crazy man. You see, when he went to Moab, he lost a lot. He ended up dying there. Why? And poor Naomi, she's left with the consequences of his choices. And everyone goes and she's left there just surviving. And, you know, sometimes we actually find ourselves in ruins, not by our own fault, but by some choices around us. And that's sometimes the hardest thing. Because when it's your own choice, you kind of can own it and wear it. But when you find yourself there and it's like, this actually wasn't my fault. Well, that was Naomi. And this man, Elimelech, you know, I thought about it. I thought there was famine. I could see there was no food, so he went to Moab. But then when I looked into it, I looked at what he called his sons, Malan and Chilean. Do you know what they mean? They mean sick and wasting away. And I'm like, this man was in famine long before he left Israel, <laughs> wasn't he? Wow, he must have been in such a negative place that he's called his child sick and wasting away. <laughs> Who does that? You see, I believe this man was in spiritual famine in his soul way before he left. And the Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, power of life and death is in our tongues. It really is. How we speak is an indication of how healthy our soul is. And an unhealed soul issue, it's going to cause you to sin. It is. If you don't take it to the cross, it's going to cause you to sin. And sin will take you further than you want to go. It costs you more than you want to pay. And it's going to keep you longer than you want to stay. You see, I, I'm not very good on Google Maps. And um, Dave and I were going on a little journey one day to a hospital <laughs> to visit somebody. And I was in charge of the directions. And we're driving along. And I'm saying, David, turn here, turn here. This is Google Maps. You know, I'm following Google Maps. And we, I said, we should be right here. And we look up. And what is it? The Redland Bay Veterinary Clinic. <laughs> There was no hospital in sight. 
And, you know, we did have a little giggle because we got, oh, that's really funny. It was all my fault. But I thought, how often in life do we find ourselves somewhere? And we're like, how did I get here? And, you know, and I say, I say this a lot, but sailors say in navigating a ship, if you are just one degree off course over time, that one degree will take you completely past your destination. You will miss where you need to go. Our emotions, they can do the same thing to us. They will take us somewhere that's going to cost us. And they most often, just like Google Maps for me, will take us in the wrong direction. And the devil, you know what he likes to do with you? He's going to isolate you. You're going through stuff, he's going to say, don't go to church. Don't, because you need to go there when you look victorious. Don't go to that connect group. Don't get people to pray for you because, you know, you feel shame because nothing's really working. And he's, "Uh uh-uh, if the devil can isolate you, he can influence you. He'll start to speak, see, into your mind. I heard this thing by Bill Johnson this week. He said that psychologists say that 95% of mental, mental health, mental illness, is caused by people avoiding pain. What do you do to avoid emotional pain? I eat chocolate. And don't laugh, because I heard this week it's as addictive to cocaine. It's not funny. What do we do? Where do we go for our emotional pain? Do we go to God's word? Do we go into his presence? Do we take it to the cross? You see, you get to choose. You get to choose. Choices do have consequences. Elimelech got to choose whether he wanted to live in a place of blessing or curse. And what happens in this life is actually not what's really important. It's how we respond to it. That's what's important. If you will bring your wounded soul, your hurts, everything that's broken, and it happens every day, some things are deeper and harder than, than others, but if you will do bring those to the cross every day, he promises us that he would take our pain. You see, he, know, he takes our sorrow because he knew great sorrow. He did. Soul wounds are heavy. I know when I've got a soul wound because I feel heavy. And he wants to take that all over the city, in our homes and families, there are people with soul wounds. There's three responses to rejection. We move away from people, and we move against people, or we move into unhealthy relationships for acceptance. Guard your heart, for all the issues of life come from the heart. Okay, one of the, the um, translations of that scripture says, be careful how you think it will shape your life. Your thoughts shape your life. So our first picture ends in ruins. It's a sad picture. I thought we'd get the negative over first, hey? (laughs) But there's always a but in this story. There's always a but. You see, because God doesn't want to leave us there. If you are just surviving, that's not his plan. He wants you to thrive. He doesn't want to leave us in that place of ruins. He always has a plan. He has his grace. And you know what he promises us? That everything that the enemy sent against us, he will turn for good. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. He is a God of the turnaround. He is a God that breaks through for you. He is a God that makes a way. He is a God that opens the Red Sea and moves that mountain. And every giant has to bow because the name of Jesus. Powerful. It is powerful, church. So today, we're going to look at the second one, okay? And the second story starts in verse 6, second picture. And what I love, if you read the Bible, it starts with a then. And then, that little word then tells me and tells the reader that there's expectancy because this story that God is telling us is just about to change. And he says, then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. A fresh move of God was happening in Bethlehem. 
Like, do you know what? If I heard there was a fresh move of God down the road, I'd be like, I want what they got. I'm going to find out what's happening. Well, Naomi had the same thing. The Bible says then she arose. She was stuck, but then she arose. She got up, she did something. And can I tell you, the most powerful thing you can do when you've been in a prolonged season of isolation, of hardship, of just being weighed down and everything's been too hard, the most powerful thing you can do is get up and move forward. Okay, being unstuck. I reckon that being unstuck, you get unstuck by your one next step forward towards God. One next step forward towards God. That's a powerful, powerful thing. Hebrews 12, do you know what it says? It says, as you keep walking forward on God's path, all your stumbling ways will be divinely healed. So there's actually healing as we step in. This morning, you came to church. You stepped in. You took a step forward. Do you know what? Healing began in your life. Those chains that have been really hard to break, that one step forward, it's got a little bit lighter. That one step forward, those things over your mind, the depression, the heaviness, got a little bit lighter because you're taking a step forward towards God. He says, if you would draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Do you know if you're going through pain and discomfort, it can be the greatest gift from the Lord? It can be a catalyst to move you into a deeper relationship with God. It can be a catalyst to move, to release a mighty move of God, a deeper encounter with God that you've never had before. If you are desperate this morning, that desperation can be the pathway for God to move mightily in your life. He hears the cry of the desperate. He hears your cry. When you cry out, he says, I'm listening, child. I'm here. Don't ever believe the lie when the devil says, I'm not listening. He doesn't hear you because nothing's happening. Do you know he's always working? He's working behind the scenes. Sometimes we can't see it, but he is always working. And I love that. And I love that Naomi, when she heard that there'd been a move of God in Bethlehem, she starts to move forward. She really does. Do you know that the word Bethlehem in Hebrew, do you know what it means? It means house of bread. And bread always signifies provision and nourishment physically and spiritually. It's actually a source of life. And bread always speaks to me of Jesus. It speaks to me of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. If you will come to me every single day, you'll never be hungry. Awesome. Believe in me and you'll never be thirsty. He says, the one who feeds upon me, I'll become his life. If you will come and feast on Jesus every day, every single day, you will never have a soul famine in your heart. Never. A few weeks ago, Dave and I were invited to go to a domestic violence workshop by our mayor, Tom Tate. And we went and actually they called all the churches, the pastors on the Coral Coast to go. And we were in a room full of pastors, weren't we, David? It was amazing. And the team, the DV team told us that in every month on the Gold Coast, there's two and a half thousand calls that come through. And these are the calls that they hear of. There are many calls that never make that phone call. And she has seen many deaths and there's been a lot that's going on. It's probably one of the greatest needs on our Gold Coast is the domestic violence. And the, she was asked the question, how do you keep doing what you do? And she said, we have a moral obligation to never let go of hope. Church, we have a moral obligation to bring hope. See, now the, the city is coming to the church for the answer. And we owe the world an encounter with Jesus. And you know how we bring that? through our stories. When you're going through your battle and you win, you get a story of victory of Jesus and you get to tell someone else that God is able to bring breakthrough. This is where the powerful thing, this is where the church rises up and awakes. It's not just coming to church more times a week. It's actually having a personal testimony of the power of God working through your life and it always happens through a battle. 
So if you're in a battle, yay, God has called you to be that Joshua. Like, yes, He's trying to teach us how to wield our sword, to take our promise, because you know that these promises, not one promise is devoid of power. You start to wield your sword, your promise over your circumstance. For some, some issues I've had, some of them, they've been years. But I can tell you, and he's saying to you today, you can trust God. He is faithful. His word will not return void. Church, our pictures need to change. But we are part of the picture. We're part of that change. My mom used to say to us, she'll remember that when we were teenagers. Every day we'd come up and we're like, oh, here it comes again. She'd say, Claire, have you done your quiet time? Have you been with Jesus? What a great question. Parents, ask your kids that. I ask you this morning, have you been with Jesus? Because my Bible tells me that if I've been with Jesus, others will see and others will know. And there will be an overflow. Other people in our world will be influenced by us being with Jesus. And when Jesus comes into our world, he starts to paint over the picture that the enemy has been painting. This picture doesn't start looking like this. It starts changing. And he starts to paint over that picture. And he starts painting over what heaven says. It's a powerful thing. You see, when you arise and come out of that place, we influence others. Do you know what? Naomi, when she left Moab, she had two daughters-in-law. And along the way, she tells them, go back. Go home. You don't want to come with me. I've got no hope. I've got nothing to go back to in Bethlehem. Orpah goes home. But Ruth, she decides to stay. And she does this most amazing thing. She, she has this declaration where she says, Naomi, wherever you go, I'll go. Your God will be my God. She makes this declaration actually of faith. She's come from an idle place and she chooses to follow God. How did that happen except that Naomi, her life has influenced someone else? See that seat next to you this morning? Okay. You're supposed to fill it with your, what overflows out of your life. No condemnation, because it happens organically. Because Jesus said, he said, if you will abide and live in the place of my light, my love, he says what organically flows from that place is you will be fruitful. And the fruit that you have will remain. So when we spend our time, when we make him central, Jesus central to everything that we do, that seat next to you is going to be filled. Because it just organically flows out from that place. It's amazing. You see, when Ruth stepped in to saying, your God will be my God, the script changes. That picture starts to change. Ruth chose courage over comfort and Naomi chose faith over fear. And when we're loved and we know we are loved, courage naturally is born. Ruth chose to put her faith in a God that would never let her down, a God that actually would allow a Moabite woman to be embraced by him. It's amazing. And I love that Naomi actually carried something even when she was in a destitute place. She was still carrying something. And can I tell you, you are still carrying something even when you are struggling. And just turning up, can I say thank you for all of you who have been in battles that are so big and you keep turning up? Because that is the loudest faith shout you can make. Because you are declaring, I still believe that my God is faithful. It is powerful. And you know, Shane Willard says that, Ruth actually chose to believe in a God that loved people more than the rules. And that's how she stepped in. Like, that's cool, hey. If we're breaking the rules and things just aren't working out, God loves us. He actually really loves us. And she believed in that. And Naomi gets back to Bethlehem, and it's a time of the barley harvest. Do you know what the barley harvest is? Brian Simmons, he says, barley was the first harvest that they would harvest in Israel at that time. First harvest. And barley actually represents the resurrected Christ. And that just reminded me that when we're in the middle of a 
dark, dark battle and things just don't seem to change, we have to put in front of us full focus the power of Christ's resurrection because he was resurrected. Dead things come alive in Christ. And you cannot afford to leave that out of your focus. You've got to keep it in front of you. You've got to remind yourself that nothing is impossible with God. My picture is changing because I serve a God of resurrection power. That is a powerful, powerful thing. And Naomi, you see, she had no food when she got home. And so she sent Ruth out to glean in the fields. And Ruth goes out and she gleans. And then she meets by accident, they say, but I'm sure it wasn't. She meets a man named Boaz. And Boaz is a wealthy landowner. And he says to her, would you come and glean in my field? And only glean in my field. And so when she gleans only in his field, do you know what happens? He gives her protection, he gives her provision, and he gives her refreshment. And he invites her to come and eat at his table. At his table, there is no lack. And you see, when Ruth goes home and she tells Naomi, and she says, Naomi, I got invited to this man named Boaz, and he invited me to his table, and he's, and he's looking after me. Naomi must have leapt for joy because she realized that Boaz was a kinsman. He was a relative of hers. And you see, God was so kind. And if you get nothing out of the story today, would you know that God is so kind that he sets things up for you before you even get there? He had set up that there would be this rule in Israel that if someone had lost everything and there was a relative, he could become a kinsman redeemer, which means he was an avenger of blood. He was one that could rescue and restore everything that had been lost. How lovely is that? This is the God we serve. He is faithful. If you really are not sure whether he's going to come through to you today, just read the story. It's only four chapters. Read it. Remind yourself of the faithfulness of God. So little Naomi, she's excited now. Something's up because guess what? I see favor over Ruth. And can I tell you, faithful obedience will attract the favor of heaven to your life. Keep turning up. Keep staying the path. Keep doing what you know to do. Keep reading. Keep praying. God will break through for you. And what happens is Naomi then has a plan and I'm sure it came from heaven because then she says Ruth what I want you to do is I want you to go to the threshing floor okay the threshing floor was a place of crushing where the grain would often by oxen would stand on it and separate the grain from the chaff and for us you see when that when that when that that crushing comes it actually releases something and for us it's exactly the same for us God often allows us to go through intense pressure times where seasons are hard and the struggle is full on and what he does in that time is he tests our faith and he tests what's what do you really believe do you really believe I'm a good God and it's just like that refiner's fire it's a place where we actually willingly come now we don't have to go to that place but we actually willingly come to his feet and what she said to to Ruth was she said go to the threshing floor of Boaz wash yourself anoint yourself prepare yourself put on a good garment And go down, and when Boaz goes to sleep, go and lie at his feet. Uncover his feet and lie down. And when he wakes up, he'll tell you what to do. So she does. She lies at Boaz's feet. And when he wakes up, he sees her there and he says, who are you? Isn't that the question of the day? Who are you? God asks you today, who are you? And Ruth answers, I am Ruth, your maid. Spread the hem of your garment over me, for you are a close relative and a redeemer. And you see, coming under his hem and his garment meant that from that moment on, everything, everything that was his, she would now have full access to. Wow. The name Boaz, you know what it means? Strengthen him. That when we come under 
the hem of his garment. Now we find our strength, not in our own selves for the battle. Our strength always comes from him. You see, total reliance on God, that's the doorway to your victory. That's the doorway to your miracle. That's that place where now you're totally, totally surrendered. There's nothing left of you. And if you go into that place, you will never, ever come out the same. You will never. At that place, Ruth had to let go of being a Moabite. Now she was no longer the cursed Moabite. Now she came under. And what it really was, and I really loved this because I thought this is the first time you actually see a woman proposing. She actually, this whole act was, actually was a proposal. She's saying, would you take me to be your wife? Would, would you take me under your care? Would you allow me to come into your household? And then would you restore everything back to Naomi that she's lost? And what does Boaz? He jumped at it. Apparently he was quite a, you know, an older man. But in that moment, there was such a, a love relationship. <laughs> but, you know, when I read this, I thought, <laughs> oh. when I read it, I thought, wow, this is our Jesus. This is our Jesus. And when we do step into the threshing, we allow the pressing, we allow the battle to do what God designed it to do. What happens, we step into the pages of Ephesians 3.20, more than we can ever imagine dream was even possible. And so Boaz gets up. He said, yes, I'll have you. So God says, I'll have you. I'll have you. doesn't matter about where you come from. I'll take you. And he only does, he goes to the gate. And you know what the gate was? The gate was like a courtroom. The gate was a place where um, contracts and documents and legal documents were signed and agreements were made. And he goes there. And there is where he purchases all of Naomi's land and also takes Ruth to be his wife. It's signed, sealed, delivered. This is Jesus. Jesus went to the cross. He went to the courtroom. His blood paid the price. Signed, sealed, delivered. So that we could have full access to heaven's realm. Which means your battle is already won. Which means we don't have to do it in our strength. Now we click in. We tap into the heavenly realm. The supernatural realm. And breakthrough comes from there. You see, Boaz now marries Ruth. <laughs> it's awesome, hey? And the grand finale of that picture that was changing... Legacy is born. And team, you can come back up. Legacy is born. Ruth 4.13 says, So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception. And she bore a son. Then the woman of Bethlehem said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a near kinsman. And may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. That's who Jesus is. You see, this son, you know what his name was? Obed. You know who Obed was the grandfather of? David. Obed was the father of Jesse and the grandfather of King David. Has not our picture changed? Has it changed from ruins to blessing? Yes, it has. You see, Ruth the Moabite, totally unqualified, disqualified, now becomes invited into a new bloodline, a bloodline of kings, the lineage of Jesus. The curse of the Moabites, the curse over your life and mine is now broken through Jesus. Hers is broken. She is known, and Naomi is one of the most courageous women in the Bible. How cool is that? Naomi's barren landscape ruins now becomes a place that's a forest full of fruitfulness, incorruptible seed that you and I today are still feeding off this morning out of that word. How cool is that? Naomi chose to arise. Church, will you arise today? Will you take your one next step forward towards God? Will you do that? Because as she did, that's where her breakthrough came. That's where her breakthrough came. As she took the one next step. And I, I just think I see her with that 
dancing down the streets. Church has a body in the church in a whole. We're going into a season of dancing in the streets because of breakthrough. Because our God has been faithful to the season of hard pressing and crushing. The season when we felt we've got no answer but you, Jesus. And we're desperate. There's a season and I hear Naomi dancing. And I hear her saying, you have turned my mourning into joy. You have taken my sackcloth, which I clothed myself with. And now you have clothed me with joy. Joy. And this is the scripture, Psalm 30. It says, Then he broke through and transformed all my wailing into a whirling dance of ecstatic praise. He's torn the veil and lifted from me the sad heaviness of mourning. He wrapped me in the glory garments of gladness. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You've taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. The, The picture is complete. Your picture, my picture, is only going to be complete through Jesus. Church, today... There's a challenge in that, isn't there? As we close today, there's a challenge. You might feel stuck. You might have thought you were stuck in a picture that does look like ruins. Big, big fat lie. <laughs> we serve a God of restoration. He wants to change your picture today. And it's prophetic. But He doesn't do it all for you. He actually asks you to take your one next step closer to Him. Shall we pray? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you that you are God that's so faithful. You love us so very much. And just across this room, if you've been stuck and you just feel like, I just want to take that one next step. My my life looks like ruins and I just want to take that one next step. I'm just going to open this altar. If you would like to have prayer, because I just know that God wants to meet you in that one next step. I know that He wants to break through. I know He wants to encourage you. I know He wants to fill you with fresh courage. So if that's you this morning, if you just want to come while we pray, we're going to start singing. But I just pray that as you come forward, that even just getting up out of your seat, it's going to be breakthrough. It's going to shift something in your life. Something's going to, as we move, there's power in the movement. So, Father, I just pray for your church. Just come. If that's you, just come. Don't wait. Just come. I pray, Father, for our church. I pray for the body at whole, that we will start to step up and we will start to move. We will start to see breakthrough in the moving. We'll start to see as we bring all our soul issues to you, Lord, that you start to go into those places and you bring healing and you bring deliverance and you bring your love to those places. And so, Father, church, would you stand? Come on, stand in this. And if you want to pray, come forward. But, Lord, I I pray for your church that fresh strength would come, fresh hope would rise, that Lord, out of this place today, that we would draw our strength from you and you alone. So Father, I pray that as the Word has gone out, may it go deep into the hearts of your men and your women, Father. And those that can pray, would you start praying as we sing? We need breakthrough to hear this morning. As you lay hands on them, just believe that God is going to just intervene. He's going to intersect the situation. He's going to do some exchanges of stones of heart with stones of flesh. And if you need to give your life to Jesus, just tell the person who's praying for you, I'm taking my next step, my next step closer to God because I'm believing in a God that's going to break, break through and He's going to meet me here. So let's sing.